Before I start my reflection today, I just wanted to give a short word for the kids who are out there or any kids who might be listening on Zoom. So young people, this is for you. Today I'm going to talk about ways that we find God. I don't mean that we're searching for God to see what God looks like or to know where God lives. I mean that we find God through moments of kindness. When your heart feels full and happy, that's God. If you want to help someone and your heart feels for them, that's called compassion, and that's God. When you see something beautiful in nature, like the leaves all around us right now, or a special rock on the beach, or an amazing sunset, that's God. So where have you seen God? What does thinking about God make you feel inside? Maybe draw a picture while you think about that, or write something down as you listen to the sermon. God's love is for all people, including you. And I'm glad you're here today. And now for the message that's more for grown-ups, but may have some bits that you like as well. So when I preach, I always seem to get scriptures that involve healing. And I promise I'm not trying to do that. Our story today is from the Old Testament, but Jesus heals a lot too as part of his ministry in the New Testament. Over and over, Jesus heals people of skin diseases or demons or seizures or bleeding as a sign both of his sovereignty and his love. Now, it's really easy to take these healings at face value, and in fact, I've preached on that before, but there's a whole belief system in some Christian churches that if you pray hard enough, if you believe in the right things, your body will be healed. And inherent in that viewpoint is the idea that bodies that are disabled or sick or too fat or too skinny or awkward are things to be fixed. And I want to name up front that that is not for me what this passage is about. I don't believe that Jesus healed because he saw people's bodies as deficient. Instead, I think Jesus healed to relieve suffering and to show a physical manifestation of God's love on earth. But that doesn't mean that any body that doesn't fit a narrow standard needs to be fixed or that anyone needs to change their body in order to earn God's love. Amy Kenny is a Shakespearean scholar, professor, Christian writer, and person with a disability. Her book is next on my reading list. It's titled, My Body is Not a Prayer Request. She wants other Christians to see her body as good and whole and in the image of God as much as theirs are. She writes, to suggest that I am anything less than sanctified and redeemed is to suppress the image of God in my disabled body and to limit how God is already at work in my life. So I just again want to emphasize that healing as manifested in the Bible should not translate into marginalizing or othering any group of people. Today's service is in our series on water, as water is healing. And at the core of today's scripture, it is that, a story of healing of a skin disease. But I think about talking about healing only in this story limits some of the more complicated themes. Instead, I think this story is really about power. The main character, Naaman, is a general of the king of Aram, a hugely powerful man with armies at his command. And yet he's weakened through a skin disease that obviously troubles him greatly. 
When he arrives at Elisha's door for help, he brings horses and chariots with him as a show of his strength and influence. He was trying to buy his healing, commanding the VIP treatment from Elisha. And then Elisha doesn't even greet him. Instead, he sends a messenger outside instead, telling Naaman to go wash in the Jordan. Or another way of putting it maybe is, God's mercy can't be purchased, buddy. God's love doesn't depend on how powerful you are. You can't buy God's grace. Because God's story is told over and over again in unexpected ways. God's story is often told in simple acts of courage or interpersonal dialogue. This is the story of a powerful man being healed. But he isn't really healed by his own faith or his own good deeds. Instead, the least powerful people, servants and enslaved people, in this story are the pivotal points. Let's take the servant girl at the very beginning of the story. This is a young girl kidnapped from the land of Israel, a victim of human trafficking now being forced to serve the wife of Naaman. Time, or the author of this book, has even robbed her of her name. What must her life have been like? What brutalities must she have endured? This is one moment in her story, and I wonder whether it was a pivotal one for her. Her courage in this moment is incredible. She's a war victim, serving in the house of her enemy. There was much for her to lose in speaking up, but she did anyway. And she did it in a way that didn't abandon her own culture or her own faith. Instead, she is invitational, inviting Naaman's wife to share the news of her prophet with Naaman in the hopes of a cure. In the same way, Naaman's own service again moved the story forward. Naaman has shown up with his full power, expecting to be received as the influencer that he is. And Elisha sends out a message instead of opening his door. And he asks Naaman to bathe. Just bathe in the river. Naaman throws a tantrum. What? Something so simple? Why didn't Elisha come out himself and say something grand? Call down the power of God and zap me clean? Why didn't he put us on a sound effect with, or a show with sound effects and lights? And for the love of all that's holy, why in the world didn't I just stay home and wash in the river at home, which is cleaner than the muddy Jordan? Forget it. I'm going home. Curses on this place. And in his rage, in this moment of temper, his servants approached him and said, hey, listen, Naaman, he asked you to do something simple. If instead he'd asked you to do some act of courage or physical challenge, you'd have done it, right? So just do the simple thing he asked you. Just go down and wash. And Naaman listens to them and washes and is made clean. Again, the least powerful people in this story are the architects of God's story and the midwives of God's grace. And the powerful are humble enough to listen to those voices around them. Where do we expect to meet God? In what way are we like Naaman, charging into a situation ready to flaunt our wealth and our power? Where are we sure that we will see God's work or experience God's love? And how often are we wrong about where we might find God? Many years ago, when I was in residency, I was doing my morning rounds in the ICU. Our ICU was a busy place, like most ICUs are. Most of the beds were filled, and many staff were moving about. I, too, was rushing. I needed to get everything done before our team met to talk through patients later in the morning. Across the ICU, my eye caught a slow motion. 
something that stood out in a fast-paced place. In the ICU bed was an elderly woman, her hair spread across the pillow. She was gazing into the eyes of an elderly man who was softly wiping her face with a damp washcloth. His movements were slow and measured. It was such a remarkable, gentle view of love that it took my breath away. I watched them for no more than a minute or two before I had to continue on. But that moment has stuck with me. It was a moment that helped me remember the love of God, even in the middle of a hectic space, even when God was the furthest thing from my mind. Have you ever encountered God in an unexpected place, where God startled you by showing up? How does it feel to be on the receiving end of seeing God work in a way that was different from what you might have expected? In the end of the story, Naaman's power didn't do a thing to enable him to experience God's healing love. His power didn't buy him friends or a cure. Instead, his humbling himself to listen to his servants and his ability to cast aside his self-righteous anger are what made the miracle happen. We need to be vulnerable and able to see God. We need to accept the strangeness of God in order to be healed. How are we too proud to accept healing? How are we too arrogant in our beliefs about the right way to experience God? How are we too dismissive of the messengers that God is sending to us? And how do we discount those without power? Because over and over again in God's story, the powerless are raised up. The message comes from the small voice of a trafficked child, or a sex worker, or a foreigner. The messages are pronounced to bleary-eyed shepherds on a cold, starry night. The message is revealed in a baby lying in a feeding trough. God's story is unexpected and upside down and weird. If you already feel unexpected or weird or different, then congratulations, you're a part of God's story. And if you don't feel that way, then congratulations, you're part of God's story too. But we all need to remember the importance of listening to each other, embracing the weird, listening for the unexpected, getting quiet and still. God's story is ongoing. God is still speaking. We just have to make sure that we're listening.